You're listening to The Winning Mind Podcast. I am Letitia D'Souza. I am a mindset coach and business strategist who has helped more than 1,200 people change their lives, their relationships, their businesses, and just win in life. There's a myriad of reasons why we're not winning in life. Most people don't really play to win. They play not to lose. And what winning really means is becoming a better version of yourself each and every day. We can do this together. Hey, beautiful people I love. How are you doing? Let's do a self-check-in because a couple of things are often the case. We're so busy going at it that we don't check in with ourselves to see how we're doing and say, what is it that I really need? Or we are the pillars and the pillars of strength for others around us. And because so many people are used to leaning on us and they're used to receiving the strength and us being the rocks, a lot of people don't check in with us to see how we're doing because we always have the appearance of doing good. So I want to cover the basis and just check in and see how you are really doing. I am doing really well. Really, really well. I'm very, very grateful. My heart is just filled with gratitude. And I practice gratitude as a way of life. It's just the posture of my heart. It's not like I have to sit and just be like, oh, you know what? Let me just count my blessings and things that I'm grateful for. No, my heart is just really postured in a place of gratitude. And when I move into other spaces, like if I get annoyed, you know, just the, the regular range of human emotions, my, my default is going to come back to a place of gratitude because when you are in a place of gratitude, it's very difficult to feel two, two emotions at the same time. So I like that to be the prevailing emotion that I feel because even the things that aren't good or the things that don't feel good, I can always see purpose in them or how they can be used purposefully. So there's that. So we are well into March. Time is flying. And Women's History Month, right? That's that's a thing. Women have been making history forever, just like Black History Month. And we we reduce things down to months or days, but I'll go with it. You know, there is a, a saying that well-behaved women seldom make history. And the woman's name is, let me see, what is that woman's name? It's, is it like Paula Thatcher Ulrich or something like that? You know, for y'all researchers that like to look things up. No, her name is not Paula. It's Laurel Thatcher Ulrich Ulrich. I don't know how you pronounce that. Well-behaved women seldom make history. And so that's all over t-shirts and, you know, everywhere. And people misunderstand the quote. I like it the, that it sounds like, you know, a little spicy, a little edge, a little sassy women. You know, that's that's who you need to be to make history. But I'm a person that researches things. And when I looked it up, she actually, it's been misunderstood for so long, and it actually really means that the quiet and compliant rarely get attention or credit for their accomplishments. 
So I think it's important that if you are a woman, that you celebrate yourself because maybe your work is in the background. Maybe a lot of people don't really see what it is that you do, but you know in your heart how you're changing lives and how you're shaping lives and how you're changing the world around you. That is worthy of celebration. And if you don't have people that are celebrating you, then you got to celebrate yourself. And, you know, that's another thing that I'm grateful for. I have changed so many people's lives. Now, intentionally, I have changed so many people's lives, but I have impacted so many people's lives, not intentionally. Like when you share the podcast with somebody, I can change somebody's life with a nugget of wisdom or with an experience that I share. And I don't even realize that I'm doing it, but I've just been celebrating the fact that I changed the world around me. And if you don't feel that way about yourself as a woman, especially, then you probably just aren't recognizing, you know, what it is that you really do. So I want to celebrate you today, but let's keep on shaping history and making history, whether it's noted out loud or not. So there's that. Uh, Let's see what else is happening here. You know, I talk a lot about, well, I go in and out and talk about money. And I know that I recently completed the Think and Grow Rich series, but I remember doing a March Money Madness series. I don't think I did it last year. I think I did it the year before. And I was telling Jordan, Jordan is my social media person. And I was telling her, I said, it just, I don't know what came over me, um, maybe madness, but I was telling her, I said, you know, I think I want to do that again because it really, It really hurts my heart when I see people struggling and they don't have to struggle. It really hurts my heart when I see people like just locked in a space that they don't have to be in. And while I'm not responsible for people, I am responsible to people. I am responsible to do my part and I am responsible to plant seeds and to continually plant seeds in the lives of people. And I don't know the the maturation time of those seeds or if those seeds will be, um, you know, uprooted from the hearts of people by the, the cares of life and by things that they have going on. But I'm going to keep doing my part. So March Money Madness, here we are. Um, Madness, in many instances, is is thought about like insanity and foolish behavior. Another take on it could be enthusiasm and just straight passion. So you can do with that what you will. But we often skip a lot of steps. And so we are looking at symptoms and not really looking at root causes. And I really think that it is important that If you want to change your money story, then you need to unpack your money story. And you need to understand how your money mindset was shaped and how that deeply ingrained conditioning is really why you make the decisions that you make or don't make as it relates to money. That's going to be really, really important because oftentimes we can't connect the dots and figure out why I work so hard. Like I work harder than everybody I know. I'm the smartest person I know. I'm a really good person. But 
my money is not where I want it to be. Like, those are the things a lot of times that we can't figure out. And I want to help you unpack your money story so that you can get some clarity and do something different. Now, here's the the operative word. Do something different. If you're an avid learner like I am, if you, you know, listen to a lot of podcasts or you read a lot just because you love to learn, loving to learn is beautiful. But learning in and of itself is knowledge. Knowledge is not power. Knowledge is potential power. It is only going to be power to the extent that you apply the things. So if something is resonant with you, then make a plan to take action on it, okay? So let's talk about unpacking your money story. Where did you first learn about money? It's going to be in your childhood environment, in your home, in, you know, in, the, in the environment, the prevailing attitudes in your home and the people that were around you. So my mom had me at 16. My, my dad was 17. And so obviously, well, they weren't together. And he moved to a different state probably when I was five or six years old. So my mom was my predominant caregiver, even though I used to go and, and visit my dad. But I lived in the house with my mom. I lived in the house with my grandmother and some of my mother's siblings. So they all worked as far as I could remember. But even my mom, she was the responsible one. Like my mom was the one with the good credit. My mom was the one who was just like the, the responsible one, the rock, if you will. But my grandmother, it was not uncommon to hear my grandmother on the phone cussing out bill collectors. And so they're they're calling and she's calm at first and then she's like, you'll get it when I get it. And then the next thing you know, it's MF, how are you gonna get it then? And you know, she's cussing out bill collectors. So I noticed very early that my grandmother just never seemed to have the money that she need, but she always owes somebody. And then the other part of that is you don't put the pieces together. You know, hindsight is 2020, as they say. But my grandmother was also a gambler. My grandmother played poker. And so she might be out all night from Friday to Saturday gambling. And she also will get a new car every few years, a new Oldsmobile. So I think it's safe to say that my grandmother's financial priorities <laughs> were misplaced. Um Again, my mother was a very responsible one. My mother gave me everything, bought me everything. Like at this point in time, we would go shopping every single week, not because I needed something, but just because. So the mindset that was shaped, I was an only child, is I can get what I want when I want it with ease. There's no responsibility around money because there there was no responsibility to get money or to get things. And the attitude that I saw around money was, was mostly influenced by my grandmother because that was the most vocal. You know, my mom, she just she just seemed to always have it together. So fast forward in my 20s in college, I got credit cards and and all of that, you know, young in, in college. And then when it came to pay it back, it's like, well, where's the money going to come to pay it back? No, Nobody informed me about finances. So I just was baptized in fire and finances. So even my mom, even though my mom knew all of those things, she didn't tell me or teach me those things. Here's the other part. Even though my mom 
I didn't see her struggling for anything, and I never felt struggle. My mom worked so hard because she saw her mother struggling. My mom did not want to depend on a man because she saw her mother doing that in various relationships. So my mom seeing her mom without enough developed the fear of not having enough, which is why she worked so hard and why she dotted every I and crossed every T, right? So there was this also prevailing attitude of not enoughness, even though I had more than enough. So fast forward all the way. Listen, in my 20s and in my early 30s, I was just very frivolous with finances, like no money management, no discipline, whatever I Whatever I want it, I'm going to buy it because in my mind, the money is always going to be there. Like, there's always more. Now, here's the thing. That mindset in and of itself is not a bad thing because I have that mindset now. I've come full circle, right? But the difference is it's not from a place of magical thinking. I know how to put a cause in place to get a certain effect, right? That there is there is always more, but I understand my part in creating the more. So... Think about the prevailing attitudes around money and what you observed in your household, whether there was struggle, whether there was you work your fingers to the bone and you see people working, working, working and struggling and sacrificing and there's really nothing to show for it. You know, did you see what were their addictions in your family that really consumed a lot of the money and the resources that put you in a place of struggle. The thing that you really want to know is if the way you operate with money right now is driven by fear or if you move from a place of abundance. And for the vast majority of us, our financial habits are driven by fear. Okay, so here's the other thing, your money story. How do you approach things that are expensive? What makes something expensive? Do you know I had surgery last February? I had eye surgery. And both my mother and my mentor said, was that surgery expensive? And I said, what do you what do you call expensive? I can't remember which one of them, but they said more than $1,000. I said, well, yeah, it was expensive. But where do you get expensive from, like expensive in relation to what? Something or someone shapes your mindset around something being expensive because when something is expensive, it is outside of your grasp. It's almost like, okay, this is not going to happen because that is too expensive as opposed to this is something that I would like how can I afford this? How do I position myself to afford this? So if you can understand that, I didn't understand putting causes in place to get certain effects. It wasn't something that was too expensive for me. I just didn't have the plan to figure it out. I was going to get it. Now, I was determined to get it, right? I was always going to go after what I wanted, but I just didn't have the, the, the part in place to position myself to pay for it. So what are you what are you keeping yourself back from right now that is too expensive? How can we reframe or reshape that that if it's what you desire and you can figure out a way to create the money to pay for it, then why do you have to rob yourself of that thing or that experience? 
I'll wait. I'll wait. A lot of times we do that because there is something that rises up in us that says that this is there's this is too expensive. And so we have these upper limits in our minds about what we should buy or what we can't buy or what's too expensive. And a lot of that is coming from the money story that shaped you. I'm going to tell you a story that I'm sure you can relate to. A lot of y'all can relate to. I was having a conversation with someone and we talked about going shopping. Let's just say we're going to budget $500 to go shopping, okay? And you go into the store and you see, you determine no, I think I asked, like, what's, what color looks best on you? What kind of dress looks best on you? And we determine that. Okay, well, you have $500. Let's see what we can get that falls in line with what it is that you love and what looks best on you, okay? Now, with that $500, that'll get two dresses. And the problem with that is, The money story that was shaped said, I am not going to spend $500 and just come out with two dresses when I can go to the clearance rack and come out with with 10 or 15. I said, okay, but the dresses on the clearance rack, are those the colors that make you look most vibrant? No. Is the fit of the dress what it is that you feel is the most flattering to you? No. Okay, so why are you going to go and get 10 or 15 of something that is not flattering. And, you, and we've, we've said that they're hanging up in the closet because they're not flattering and you don't, you're, not, you don't, you're not drawn to those as opposed to taking the $500 and buying something, two dresses that you love, maybe even a, throw a third one in there that you absolutely love the way they look on you, the way they fit and the way they feel. Because that money story And those predominant and prevailing attitudes in your childhood are shaping how you show up right now. Something in your mind says, I cannot only get two dresses for this $500. That is, these dresses are too expensive. So you hold yourself back from the thing that you desire because of this upper limit that you didn't even put there. Do you you see what I mean? So we end up, um, couponing our way through life, nothing wrong with coupons. Listen, th- listen, however you get it is how you live. I don't care about that. What I'm saying is we end up like bargain basement on our way through life. And if it's just not on sale, then it's like, oh no, if it's not on the clearance rack, then we're not going to get it. And those attitudes shape the way we operate. My mom, she could say, oh, that is a really nice shirt. Where'd you get it? Oh, mom, I got it from a, you know, a store in London. How much was that? It was $79. You, you pay $79 for that? Mm-mm. That couldn't be me. Mom, I understand because my mother will go and buy her things at the Goodwill. Listen, nothing wrong with thrifting if that's your thing. But there is a difference in being a mindset that says, I'm only going to pay $6 for a shirt. And so I have 70 shirts. They're not flattering. They don't look particularly good on me. But 
I, I spent $420 over uh, a year or two to get these 70 shirts. And you're paying $80 for a shirt. And with, with that, you're going to get, like, what? Um, five shirts. But I love my shirt. My shirt looks good on me. My melanin is popping in my shirt. It looks good. The material is quality because that is what I prefer. So you will have a conflict with those and that which shapes your money story. And there has to be a willingness to betray that and those which shaped your predominant money story and your prevailing attitude towards money. Or you will find yourself in a place where you're not really moving forward. You could be making money. You could have moved from the place of financial struggle, but inwardly there you feel this tension and this conflict and you can't even really enjoy it because there's a value conflict when you go to get something that you want. When you try to live the life that you want, something comes in and robs you of your peace. And so you're holding back and you find yourself hoarding money and hoarding resources just like the people who shaped you. That might not be your money story, but what I'm saying, I just want you to understand how that happens and why it's important to reshape your money story, retell your money story, write a new money story. It is very, very important to heal your relationship with money. I hope this is making sense to you, but let's talk about how Your money story, in many instances, can create a lack of money because a lot of us, it's not that we're not intelligent or smart, like I said earlier. It's not that we don't work really hard, but oftentimes we work so hard and then there's still not enough. And so we have these cycles of enough and then lack. And so there never seems to be a place where we kind of have a a financial breakthrough and we can maintain it and continue to build upon and increase upon that. And I'm telling you, your money story and how you handle money shapes that. Healing your relationship with money means also understanding that money is a tool. It's simply a tool. It's currency that's designed to flow. It's energy that's designed to move. And When I wrote a letter to money, like Jen Sincero suggested, and you're a badass at making money, healing part of my, healing my relationship with money, I realized that I could replace money with men. I was like, man, money, you just seem to be inconsistent. Like sometimes you're here, sometimes you're not. I I don't really know when you're going to come around and I can't really rely upon you to be here. And so when I looked at that, I said, Man, this seems like my 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 story with men, my story with the men that were around me. So I was operating very much the same. So I had to heal my mindset, heal the part of me and reshape that story. And guess what? Money can't get enough of me now. Money is always here. Money is a solid. Money is a constant. I always have more than enough for everything that I need so that I'm in service to me and other people. Money money loves to be here. Money is cared for here. Money is not worshipped here, but money is welcome here, right? Me and money, we got a thing going on. Money loves me and I love money. It's not the root of all evil. It's the root of all good. You can reshape 
your money story. And you know what happens? I attract money or things that will lead to more money almost effortlessly. Let's be clear. Causes lead to effect. But what I am saying is I attract money and opportunities and resources and favor in a way that is just sometimes mind-blowing. But people are always pouring into me. People are always giving to me. But I healed the part of me that didn't know how to receive, that didn't feel worthy of receiving and allowing, and moved the block that prevented love, that prevented money, that prevented all of the other things that were coming into my life, okay? So this is not just about you working harder. This is about you unpacking your money story because, I listen, when you don't have enough money to meet your needs and it goes on for a long period of time, it is damaging to your soul. It is also damaging to your health. If you think about how heart disease is at the top of the list that killed for things that kill us, especially African-Americans, do you think it's just the red meat that people are eating? I don't eat it, but do you think that it's just that? Or do you think that existential stress, chronic stress, situational stress that is long-lasting can contribute to the wear and tear upon our hearts? So... You healing your money story and unpacking your money story is going to do more for just your wallet, is going to help you to get wealthy in a way that you might not even be thinking about. When you don't have enough money, it is very hard not to be obsessed with money because you're always thinking about money. All of your decisions have to be made by how much is this going to cost? Let me tell you how that works when you're in business. When you're in business, it's going to put you in a place of need. When your place of need overrides your need to be in service, You aren't necessarily making decisions in the best interest of your clients because your need is at the forefront of your mind. You are in survival mode and you live in survival mode. And you know what happens? Um, Who I can't remember who was reaching out to me for something just the other day. They kept reaching out to me and following up and following up. And I am someone who appreciates diligence. I appreciate client service and I appreciate follow-up. This started to feel like this greedy, grabby energy to me that runs me the other way. Here's the thing. I was prepared to purchase. I was planning to purchase. But that energy for me was so off-putting. You want to think about this because who you are and your money story is going to bleed over into everything else that you do because everything moves by money. There's there's nothing in the world that doesn't move by money, right? So we're always exchanging money. So you want to heal your money story so you can get your place yourself to the place of enough, then more than enough, this, and then way more than enough. But you're going to have to, like a slingshot goes back to then go forward 
Sometimes we don't want to go back. And so we're building and building and building and we're building houses on sinking sand. It's like, you know how people put that deck of cards up and then something happens and then it blows away because your foundation is not right. Your foundation is not right because the way that you were shaped and the way that you were conditioned does not lend itself to what it is that you are trying to create. So in that foundation, we're going to have to dig up your mama and them mindset, your daddy and them mindset, the prevailing attitude in your family, and we're going to have to plant seeds of abundance, seeds of trust, seeds of enoughness, seeds of cause and effect. We're going to have to nurture and water those seeds, and we're going to have to be very, very, very diligent and consistent with it because that is the only way that you shift your money mindset And it's not this thorn in your side and this nagging voice in the back of your head that is haunting you every step of your journey. Because there is a place where you can get to where you have ease around money. Then it has very little to do with the amount of money that you have. March, you know what? I forgot to tell y'all, March is going to be my anniversary month, four years in business. Thank the Lord, right? But March is also going to be my highest revenue generating month in my entire business. It has nothing to do with the amount of money. It has everything to do with mindset and getting to a place of ease and getting to a place of belief that there is always enough, that there is always more, that I can always create more money. Regardless of how my mother's mindset is, or my father's mindset, or my family's mindset, they are still the polar opposite of how I live and how I do things. But I have boundaries around my own mindset, and I have tunnel vision because I know that this is the way that I need to go. And so I have had to betray them in such a way. Deal with the fallout, deal with whatever. You know how they say money changes people? It does. Most often it changes the people that are around you. And I'm just scratching the surface. That's that's okay. That's okay. This work is mine to do. This is my mission. And so other people don't need to understand it. Other people don't need to see it. But the fact that I have shaped that and changed that for my daughter. And now she lives with financial ease and financial peace. Listen, I have already shaped history, but I'm just getting started. But what I'm trying to convey to you is that if you don't look at, unpack your money story, unpack this suitcase, this this luggage of all of your family attitudes, cultural mindsets, religious beliefs, all of the things that impact your story, I just touched on a couple You will not see the financial abundance that you are praying for and that you are planning for because your unconscious awareness is going to always rise up to recreate the predominant environment on the inside of you, okay? So share that with somebody, share a nugget with somebody, take action on something, and... Have a beautiful rest of the day.